Thank you for listening. We would love to have you join us at New Sound for one of our weekend experiences. Check out our website for times and directions at newsound.church. We would love to hear how these messages are impacting your life. Please share your story with us at story at newsound.church. I wanted to take five people here in the house on our team and give them an opportunity to communicate to you this weekend from God's Word. So we're calling it Five on Five. Five communicators, they each have five minutes. If you've ever communicated, ever, um, I would much rather be given 40 minutes than five minutes. Um, and so it's not, it's not an easy thing to do, um, but I'm so excited. And I gave them one assignment that you would share from God's Word the answer in your heart to this thing. My, my one prayer for our city is... What would be your prayer for the city? And we've all been praying and working and serving the city for a long time, but now just to, to get to hear from them. And so I want to take a moment and introduce them. Now, if you're a guest and you're going, oh, man, I want to hear, like, like if you love them, if you love them, um, I, then I wrote it. <laughs> if, it's, um, if it's not any good, it's the first time I saw the notes, too, just like you. So... So we'll just see. We'll just see. Um, but if you're just checking us out, you go, oh, man, I wanted to find out if I like this guy. I, listen, here, here's, here's my heart for, for today. Uh, we, we absolutely were passionate about building this church around a man. It just wasn't me. Um, and we wanted this church to point to Jesus and Jesus only. And so uh, I, I'm excited for the opportunity to let a lot of other people have the chance to hold this microphone. And so we're excited for today. And so I want to introduce to you who will be communicating to you this morning. First up, he's actually our worship leader. He's a real son of the house. Um, I love him deeply. Uh, Trenton Rodriguez. We, um, I love Trenton. And you're going to do a great job. And I want you to go sit down. Um, he's, um, he's a, he's a son and, and I, and I love him dearly and he, he doesn't just do worship. He's just kind of that wonderful utility infielder that just rolls up his sleeves and just does whatever he can. Uh, Miss Monica, who sings like an angel. Monica, my, so, so Monica came to me before we started the church. She came and just sat in my office one day and she said, Hey. Um, so I, um, I've written a bunch of worship songs and I basically sing like an angel and I have a master's from Princeton. Could I come hang out with you guys? And I'm like, no, yeah, that'll be fine. That'll be, that'll be cool. Um, and, um, so Monica's amazing. She leads our fresh start group. So if you, if you've ever said, you know, man, I want to learn how to read my Bible. I want to learn how to pray. I just don't know where to get started. Um, it's Monica. She's doing that and then she leads worship. She does an amazing job. So. We got Dr. Dave Smith in the house. Um, Dave leads all of our guest uh, small groups. Small groups he used to do guest experience. He does all of our small groups in his spare time. He's a pediatric trauma doctor. Um, just on the side, that's a little thing he does. He just dabbles on the side, um, and um, he's an amazing, he's an amazing, amazing friend. Father of five. Um, I met him, I was preaching at a church in Jacksonville, Florida. We randomly met in the hallway. 
Um, actually, it wasn't random. Uh, um, well, the pastor said, you want to go sit back in the green room and wait for the next service? I had to preach like three, four, five, 20 times. I don't remember how many times I preached. And I said, no, there's somebody I'm supposed to meet in the hallway. I just knew in my spirit. I walked out. I just literally slammed it. He was walking out the door like 100 miles an hour. Saw me, stopped, turned, pivoted, shook my hand. We talked for five minutes. He called me the next week. We talked for an hour and a half. And then he moved his family of five here to help us start the church. Yeah. So, leads all of our small groups. And uh, Rebecca Smith. Yeah. Rebecca is our executive director. Um, so she oversees all the staff. Um, she runs the church and she, gets, she lets me um, come every week to the stuff. Um, Rebecca, we had the privilege of um, working together in Lexington. I convinced her to take uh, a, an, an obnoxious pay cut um, from a career where she was very successful, where she came to ministry. And then we moved down here to start the church. And I called her and her husband, Jared, and, and they were pregnant with their first baby, and I said, I feel like God's called me to start a church in Florida, but I won't go if you don't go. And um, they said, let us pray about it, which I knew as soon as they said that, I'm like, got them. So, um, so they moved down here. They got um, little baby Lucy, who just turned a year old, and now she's walking around the church, and you, you'll recognize her. Legs this big around, bow this big. That's how you know if it's Lucy. So, Miss Rebecca, I love you, girl. And uh, last but not least, my buddy Brock Heron. Um, so Brock and his wife Katie really uh, were one of the first families. They were the first family from Wellington that joined the team to help us start the church. We didn't know each other. Um, he called me. I was still living in Birmingham. Um, it just so happened we kind of had a mutual friend. And he called me and he said, Pastor, if you're coming down here, I'm your guy. I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know how to start a church. I don't know how to do it. But I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. I'm going to help. I'll do whatever I can. He was faithful to his word. He's rolled up his sleeves. And just week after week after week, he makes it about other people. And um, he's tall. He's insanely handsome. And I normally don't like to stand next to him because in perspective, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty tall guy, right? And then I stand next to him and they're like, oh, he's like Frodo Baggins. <laughs> I had, a guy in, I had a guy out here who's like, in the cafe, he was like, you know, honestly, man, every, I, you know, when you come down here and stand in the cafe, I always thought you'd be taller. I always thought you'd be, and I'm like, I get that. The screen adds 10 inches, I guess. I don't know what the deal is. So, um, so Brock runs all of our guest experience, so everything from the streets to the seats, and we just really feel like that's where ministry starts in this church, is just doing everything we can in this little baby new thing, just to try to make you feel good from the parking lot. All the way until you have your seat. So that's Brock and his amazing family. And so. I don't want to take up any more of their time. Um, but I want to encourage you in this. That sharing the word in this way in five minutes um, it, it is, is hard. It's the greatest privilege in the history of the world to stand up in front of a group of people and share the gospel. But it's also very challenging because, you know, sometimes, you know, people are, people are funny little beasts, you know. They're like, they're like. They're like, entertain me if you can, pastor, you know. And so I want to encourage you. Um, I, I, I don't want them, I don't want them to, next time I ask them to do something like this, for them to passionately decline. And so uh, I want to encourage you today. Be a great note taker. Um, lean in. And I believe deeply. I've, seen, I've, I've worked with them for the last couple of weeks on their messages. I know God has something to say to you through them today. Yeah. 
and I can't wait for how this is going to go. So I, I, I want to pray, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go after this thing. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for what you're doing. And God, I pray your blessing over every word that comes out of their mouths today. God, speak through them. Speak to us. Change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give it up for Trenton. Wow. Um, incredible honor. Incredible honor um, to be able to do this. So as he said, we have five minutes, so I'm just going to jump right into it, if that's all right with you guys. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And it's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church of Philippi, and he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. My prayer for our community is that pride will die and humility will rise. And, and so, first got to find out what is pride, what is humility. Well, when I was in college uh, last week, um, <laughs> no... It wasn't last week, but it wasn't that long ago either. It was last year. One of my professors gave the best definition of humility that I've ever heard. You might have heard it before, but for me, it was the first time. And he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is just thinking of yourself less. Yeah. You know, because we, we think that humility is just, oh, I'm not that great, or oh, there's people better than me. But that's not what that is, because you're still thinking of yourself all the time, even though you're doing that. Yeah. Right. And so if we want pride to die and humility to rise, you know, pride and humility are seen as these opposites, so if humility is thinking of yourself less, pride must be thinking of yourself either too much or all the time. Yeah. And we do that. I think, I think thinking of ourselves is, isn't a, a horrible thing. I think God gave us instincts. You know, we think, mm, there's an aching in my stomach. I need a cheeseburger before I die. Or something like that. But it becomes, the problem comes when things that weren't originally about you all of a sudden become about you. So I have, I have an example. I think it's the perfect example. It'll apply to at least 75 to 80% of everybody in this room. You're scrolling through social media, maybe Facebook, and you see a, a picture of someone in their bathing suit. And there's two thoughts that'll cross your mind. Well, I don't, I don't look like that. Or, well, <laughs> I don't look like that. <laughs> Listen, that picture had nothing to do with you. They were not thinking of you when they posted it. They're in Cancun having the time of their lives not thinking about you and your bathing suit. But somehow it became about us. And what is the problem there? It's a thought process problem. We're always thinking of ourselves. The Apostle Paul said in that, in that verse, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. So it's a thought process problem. So what do we have to do? We have to change our thoughts. How are we going to change our thoughts? That's an easy thing to say, harder thing to do. I think this is really, if not the only way, it's definitely the leading way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. By reading more about God, you become to become more like him, think more like him. Yeah. And as you think more like he thinks, you'll start to love how he loves. Yeah. Because whether you realize it or not, humility is a prerequisite for love. Yeah. Like, think about it. Think about it in this way. Think about God sending Jesus to die for us, right? We say it's the ultimate showing of love, right? In all rational human thinking, the trade that he made was pretty reckless. Like, it was pretty out there. Like, it doesn't really make sense. Like, think about it. He gave up his most prized possession, his son. He didn't care what it cost him. He didn't care what he might lose. He gave up his son on a deal that we very well could have just said no and walked away from but he did it anyway. Yeah. 
You see, God wasn't thinking about himself, which is how he was able to show such amazing love to us. What if, what if our community became that way? That's what I'm praying for. That we would see that man on the side of the street with a blown out tire while it's pouring rain and actually help him. Where we would do the right thing in the business deal, even though we probably could, you know, squeeze a little bit more money out of it for us. But we do the right thing because we genuinely care about the life of that person. Or where local and global missions receive more backing and support than pro sports teams like the Dallas Cowboys or the LA Lakers. Where we actually support global missions like they should be supported. At near the end of his life, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And in John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's it. That's the only thing that's going to tell whether you're a disciple of God or or not. If, If the pride in us for our sake would make way to humility for their sake, we'd truly be his disciples. It's how God loved us, and it's how the church should love as well. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Come on, let's give it up for Monica. So awesome. Thank you, Trenton. We didn't plan this, but our messages actually coincide, which is the Holy Spirit. Hey. So this month I turned 25, and in my short time on earth, I've learned a couple of things. Like, I know like five things for sure. <laughs> Down pat. The first one is that love is complicated. Like, humans have been really bad at trying to figure it out for a very long time. And the second thing I've learned is that if you don't know what love is, the world is going to tell you. Okay? Right. Yeah. The world has a definition of love, and it, all it takes is for you to watch reality TV for like 30 seconds to figure it out. Yeah. Our culture says that love is a feeling. And there's this whole idea. I can't believe it, but the government lets us make a, huge decisions based on feeling it and not feeling it. Things like marriages and commitments and job decisions and decisions about our future and our destiny, they're made based on feeling it. And obviously being the logical and objective group of people that we are, we look at that model of love and say, that's not what love is. But if I'm being honest, I've let the world's idea of love infiltrate my life. I've let it run ragged in my relationships, in my commitments, and I've let it destroy my faith in God sometimes. Okay, because when times are difficult and when I've experienced pain and when I'm, when I'm going through heartbreak and confusion, I'm just not feeling it. And there's been moments in my life when my emotions were so numb that I was this close to just giving it all away. All the faith that God had given me, I was just going to hand it off because I didn't feel it. It's a funny thing, love. It's the reason we're here today, right? This is the reason we serve, it's the reason we sacrifice, it's the reason we give. And so I think we need a better definition of love if we're going to stay in this thing for the long haul. See, the Bible says that God is love, and God doesn't change. So that means love doesn't change. And if love doesn't change, that means I can stay in love regardless of what I'm feeling. My prayer for our community is that we would stay in love. See, the greatest display of love in the history of all humanity was Jesus Christ sacrificing his life on the cross for us. 
How is it that the worst moment of his entire life can be the greatest example of love for us? It just doesn't make sense. And in John chapter 13 through 17, it's the last discourse. It's the last teaching that Jesus would give before his death. And he could have talked about anything, but the problem he addressed was love, what it is, and how to stay in it. Because I think he understood human frailty. He understood the disciples would see him giving his life on the cross and say, what happened? He was supposed to win. And now we're experiencing opposition and discouragement, and my feeling is telling me to quit. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 21. Oh, so excuse me, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one that loves me. It goes on to say, he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And he repeats this idea. If you love me, obey me. If you love me, obey me. He repeats it three times in the same chapter. He's making a point. Jesus is calling us to follow his word and not what we feel. Because he understands that when pain comes, we're going to want to quit. See, when I'm struggling and I'm in pain, I have to remember Jesus Christ on the cross who loved to the point of obedience that took him to death. And it's this love that changed the trajectory of our lives forever. It's this love that created the greatest movement in the history of our world. It's Christianity. Love is obedience. If I can leave you with one thought today, it's that in order to be effective Christians in this world, we need a better perspective of love. See, love is possible in every season. I need you to grasp that. Love is possible in every season because if love is based in obedience and obedience on the word of God that doesn't change, then it doesn't matter how I'm feeling. I can persevere. I have to make that choice. And when you love like Jesus, two things happen. Number one, there's a promise of his presence. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you the Holy Spirit to be with you and in you at all times. And the second thing happens, there's purpose for your pain. And I want to leave you with that thought. There's purpose for what you're walking through. Don't quit. Don't walk away, because on the other side of your obedience, someone's breakthrough is there. They're watching you. Whatever you're going through, somebody's watching you. And what you believe in is going to be shown by what you choose to do when you're not feeling it. Thank you, church. Come on, give it up for Dave. Well, I'm humbled to be on a stage that I did not build and um, to share God's word with you today. Thank you, Pastor Josh, for your vision for this church and for believing in me and my family. It means everything. I'm honored. Let's dive right into the word. You'll see it on the screen behind me. We're going to read from Acts And actually, the Apostles is a book of the Bible that was written by Luke about the early church right after Jesus' death. It says in 46 and 47, Acts 2, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I was reading through this verse. It just kept jumping out to me. It said they continued to meet together and broke bread in the homes. And I couldn't take my my focus off the word continued which means they were already doing it. And, and why would they already be doing this? Well, I think maybe it's because it's, they saw Jesus doing it. And so Jesus modeled to the early church exactly what he knew they would need 
um, over the next season. They knew the persecution, he knew the persecution that was going to come. He knew the battles they were going to fight. And he knew the only way they were going to weather the storm and preach the gospel, the good news to the ends of the world, was if they could weather the storms together. Yeah. And so... Uh, as I processed the thought, I kept, one prayer just kept coming to mind, and it's this. It's my prayer for this city is that not one single person would have to do life alone. Yeah. See, isolation kills, yeah. but community builds. Yeah. It builds confidence. It builds compassion for others, and it builds character. Yeah. And so a lot of people don't know this, but Jesus actually started the first small group. He, he, he walked around. He grabbed guys from different walks of life, and he said, walk with me. Follow me, and I'm going to pour everything into you. Yeah, yeah. He preached to thousands, but he actually poured his life into 12. Yeah. So Jesus had friends, people who knew him. Uh, he, he laughed with them. He cried with them. He got angry with them, but he also loved them. And on Jesus' last night on earth, he chose to have dinner, share stories, and be with his friends. In the garden that night when he was full of sorrow and doubt and fear, his friends were close by. Yeah. And so if the Son of God allowed a small group of people into his life, and they shared in his struggles as well as his victory. And if Jesus modeled a life that he lived with people, why do we feel like we can go at it alone? Wow. So we should always look to Jesus' life as a model for how we should live ours. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, most of us have jobs. We're trying to raise our family. We get to church when we can. But how many of us are devoted to building godly relationships? So Jesus knew this, and he started a small group to show us that we needed to live life with people who know our name, know our story, can divide our sorrows, and multiply our joys. And from personal experience, I see this in every season of my life. In every season of my adult life, I've seen that people are going to frame up how I see things. And so in college, when I first came to the Lord, a group of guys surrounded me, and they were patient with me, but they broke down every wall that I had built up over 21 years of not knowing God. And they gave me the time to finally accept the grace and forgiveness of my Lord. And in our first couple small group, my wife Danielle and I, we joined that group, and, and we developed lifelong friendships. We, we weathered some storms, but we also got to celebrate the birth of our first daughter, Corey, with friends. Yeah. And... And most recently, my youngest son, Fisher, just became critically ill a couple months ago, and our small group surrounded us and provided everything we needed. Yeah. They, they prayed for us. They took care of our four other children. They, they fed us, and they were just with us. And what, what I noticed there is they did all of that without even being asked. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how we would have weathered that storm without them. And so as I, as I processed this, I saw that every season of my life is marked by the people that I allowed into it. And at New Sound, we believe in the model that Jesus set up when he was on earth. You need people in your life who know your story, know your name, that are there for you when you're hurting, but also there to celebrate with you when things are going well. So maybe, maybe you're the student who's just taking the summer off and you feel isolated, or you're the person working 80 hours a week to try to better your family, uh, but you don't have a friend in the world. Maybe you're a retired couple who feel like you don't have purpose on this planet anymore, or or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom who's just desperate to talk to someone not in diapers. Yeah. Well, we have a group for you. Yeah. 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 So at New Sound, we've developed groups for every season of life. So you have a place where you can be truly known. So don't wait. Don't put it off. Stop making excuses and just find a group today so you can let people into your world. Yeah. Because no one should have to do this life alone. Yeah. Because life's better with people. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
Let's give it up for Rebecca. Thank you. I just wanted to start this off, too, with uh, thanking Pastor Josh there. He is the first person that ever spoke a God-given purpose into my life. And it might have been a pay cut, but I've never been richer. So thank you. And uh, you're taking away from my time. Um, anyway, so my prayer is just that for our community that people would know their purpose and step into their purpose. So for me, when Pastor Josh and I met in 2012, so it's been some time, um, I had, I was out of college. Um, I had my first big girl job. Things were good. I had a great house. I had lots of friends. There was no big like red warning sign. There was no big thing that was lacking or missing, but I knew that I just wasn't living my life on a purpose. And I remember coming into the church and getting to meet Pastor Josh and, and hearing what everything was about. And I just remember thinking, something has to be missing here. Life was good. And what I didn't know then was that good is the enemy of great. And while everything was good in my life, there wasn't a great, that God had a greater adventure for me. And even right now, as I'm speaking purpose out, you might be sitting there and you're like, oh, it might be making you nervous because it's scary to think about stepping into it. Or you might be thinking, like, that's for you, Rebecca, or you're on staff, or that's just for maybe, like, super holy people, but not for me. But I just want to comfort you that I had that same thought. We would have people that came into church, and they would come up on the stage and talk about the grand adventure that God took their life on when they surrendered it all to him. And I would think that's awesome story for them. That's great. But if I was honest with myself, deep down inside, and I believe if you're honest with yourself, there's something deep down inside, I would always think, but God, do you, like, do you have a big adventure for me? Could you just maybe have that adventure for me? And I don't have to know you to know that. I know God, and I know you're created in his image, and I know he created you, so he put that there. Um, but why don't we step into it? So if you think there's this big, grand adventure, you don't step into it because it can be scary when someone starts saying, sell it all out. Um, so I just wanted to share with you all a story in the Bible. It's in 2 Kings. It's in the fourth chapter, verse 1 through 6, um, that just gave me encouragement. And I got some truths, three truths that we can pull from that. Um, it's a story of a lady. Her husband died, um, and some creditors were coming her way. And they were coming to collect a debt. And she was nervous because she did, couldn't pay it. She didn't have anything. And she thought he was going to take her two sons because that's all she had. And they were going to take them as slaves. So she goes to Elijah and she says, Elijah, what do I do? Like, I have nothing. All I have is this jar of oil. And Elisha instructs her to go out and collect a bunch of empty jars. Like, go ask your neighbors if you have to. Just go get some jars, go into your house, close the door, and just begin to pour the oil. So she does it, and she gathers her sons, and they help, and they go inside, and she just starts to pour the oil. And all the, all the empty jars are just filling to the brim. And then she gets to the last one. She's like, sons, bring me another one. And they say, this is the last jar. And the Bible says in that last verse, in verse 6, at that point is when the oil stopped flowing. So three truths from that. Number one, you are enough. If you're scared to step into your purpose, you're enough. You'll notice in that story, she says, I have nothing. I have a jar of oil. What you see as nothing, God sees as an opportunity to show his glory. Yes. Step number two, truth number two would be that his blessings know no end. You'll notice in the story that his blessing didn't, it was not limited. The limiting factor was not on the oil. The limiting factor was on the number of jars that they would bring. So three... 
The next thing would be bring your empty jars. That's your final call. What are some of your empty jars? What are some of the barren places in your life that you could receive God's blessing? If you know you're enough, if you know that there's no limit to his blessing on your life, if you know those things are true, what wouldn't you bring to receive his blessing? Maybe for you, you have taken a step in. Maybe you joined the serve team and you're giving your times and talents. Maybe your empty jar could be your finances. Are you putting God first there? Are you returning the tithe? Are you putting yourself in a place where you can be generous? Maybe for you, it's your family. You need to bring them along. Maybe you need to step up and lead your family, bring them to church. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know that his blessing is unlimited and you are enough. Just bring your empty jars. You know, for me, all those years ago, I came into the church. I got a mailer that didn't end up in the trash for whatever reason. I don't know. It was God. And I just came. I didn't know what was missing, but I just knew that there had to be something more. And I stepped into it, and I went to explore, and I joined the team. I left my job. I came on staff to do ministry, and God's just taken me on this huge adventure, and it's been amazing. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Um, you know, a year ago, like you said, we packed up our family, my husband and I and our baby, and we came here just on a dream to reach South Florida. And now look around. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. God is faithful. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know that he's going to ask you to sell your house and pick up and move. I don't know if he's going to ask you to go start a church. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know without a doubt, whatever plan God has for your life, it's better than what you have for your life. Yeah. So that is it. Thank you so much. Let's give it up. For Mr. Brock. I need my notes. You guys look great, by the way. <laughs> so I just want to take a quick second to uh, thank Pastor Josh for this awesome opportunity and for planting this amazing church. This church has changed my family's life. It's changed my life, and I'm very honored and very privileged to be here today. So about, yeah, give it a hand. It's awesome. Love this place. So about two years ago, I uh, made a job change. I was offered a job that I was not qualified to do in an industry that I knew nothing about. That's right. But I decided to take it anyway. <laughs> I took a highly competitive and intimidating sales job in the advanced metering infrastructure industry. And don't worry if you forget that. I have to write it down just so I can remember it. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned a lot about sales very quickly. Especially on my first couple months on the job, I learned that not everybody particularly likes salesmen. I thought everybody would just be happy to see me, but that's not the way it worked out. <laughs> Especially receptionists on Monday morning before they've had their first cup of coffee. Don't try it. It doesn't work. <laughs> so, I learned that there are two basic types of selling that I was going to be doing. There was value selling and relationship selling. Now, value selling is really easy. You give a quick sales pitch. Hopefully, they see the value in your product or service, and you make a one-time sale, and you walk away. Or you don't make a sale, you get no relationship, and you have a badly bruised ego, and you get nothing. And the latter of the two basically sums up my first year in sales. <laughs> but uh, this is why I believe people don't like salesmen is because we have a tendency to default to that value-based mindset, which is easier. Rather than taking the time and making the investment into people, building the relationships that, that it requires. So maybe you've heard one of these value-based sales pitches before and it sounded something like this. I'm going to make you an offer that you can't refuse. It always starts like that. <laughs> For a limited time only, you could be the proud new owner of this beautiful, limited edition, 1985 Chevrolet El Camino SS for the exclusive and surprisingly low price of $100,000. You won't find another deal like this anywhere else, ladies and gentlemen. So the first person that writes me a check, I'll give it to you. We can do this today. Seriously. Nobody? Why not? My grandma had one of these. It's a classic. That was the year I was born. But nobody's going to take this deal because it's not worth it, right? 
the value just isn't there. So it brings up an interesting question. How do you determine value? Because really, value could be dependent on the person who's making the assessment. But the best and most simple definition I could find for value is this. The value of something is determined by the price that somebody is willing to pay for it. Yeah. Let's take a look at one of my favorite Bible verses real quick. John 3, 16. It's my favorite because I can remember it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. This verse gets quoted all the time. We hear it all the time. I know a lot of you know it. But I often think that we forget the significance of it. Because I meet a lot of people out there who believe in God but don't really feel like God cares about them. They think that he's too big or he's too busy or he's too distant to really care about anything that we have going on here. But let's look at this verse from a value perspective, okay? If the value of something is determined by the price that somebody is willing to pay for it, and God gave his only son to die for you, then what does that say about how much he loves you? How much he cares for you? How much he values you? You see, God says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, and he loves us so much that he gave. He gave all that he had in the form of his son just so he could build a relationship with you. So, you know, growing up in church, I've seen a lot of bad sales pitches, metaphorically speaking. You know, there are people out there that will try to manipulate you into believing in God either through fear or through the gift of some type of financial prosperity or something like that. Sometimes it works, but most of the time it never lasts. It doesn't work out that good. And the reason I believe why is because there's no relationship behind the decision. Really, I think that they've got their sales pitches all wrong anyway. They've got it completely backwards because God doesn't wait for you to choose him. He chose you first. He already closed the deal, as I like to say, and this is what it cost. He paid the price with the cross. And um, Romans, Romans 5, 8 says this, that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, you might feel unqualified like I did to take that job. You might feel unqualified to come to God because maybe of your past or maybe something that you're going through right now, but I've got really good news for you. He loves you no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been, and it doesn't cost you a thing. He already paid the price for it. So while the rest of the world is trying to figure out how to pay their way to get to God, what you need to understand is that he paid the price to get to you. And you are not cheap. So you are extremely valuable to God, and he would love nothing more than to have a personal relationship with you. Thank you. So in humility, make the choice to love when you don't feel like it. And you'll never be able to stick to it very long if you're committed to doing it by yourself. And never forget that you were made on purpose. And we know that because you're worth dying for. Father, today we come to you knowing that there's got to be more to this life than this. And as we listen to the words of these amazing communicators, we know they're coming straight from heaven for us today. 
Church, right there in your seat, I know for some of you, you have a value problem. You don't understand what you're worth. Maybe you never heard somebody tell you that you were made on purpose and for a purpose. That God has plans for your life and His plans for you are good. Father, today, in the best way we know how, we ask for humility. We recognize we are world class at making everything about us. It's proven how often we'll, we'll pick a church just based on how it feels. God, I just only ever want to be a part of something that's, a, that's got the heart of the Father. That's seeking and saving the thing that's lost. God, we recognize we do it a lot because we think that love is an emotion. God, I thank you that we're reminded today love is a choice. Emotions are wonderful slaves and horrible masters. And today we choose love. We choose love. God, for some of us, if we are 100% honest, we're dying in our own secrets. There's not one place in the world that we could honestly go to confess the things that are holding us back. We're scared. If anybody ever found out what we do in the dark place, they'd never want to be around us again. Father, that spirit of isolation, that spirit of loneliness, it has no place in the follower of Jesus. And so we call it out today. And we cast it out and we say today, we'll commit. Even in the awkwardness, even in those awkward first steps, God, we'll commit today to stepping into relationship. God, we won't waste another day pretending like we weren't made for great purpose. And so we'll step into it today. And Father, today we receive the grace afforded to us from the cross made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. And for reasons that we may not ever really understand, you looked down and thought we were worth dying for. We lift this up to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to another message from New Sound Church and our lead pastor, Josh Monty. For more information about us, you can check out our website at newsound.church or you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We want to thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear how these messages are impacting your life. Share your story with us at story at newsound.church. Enjoy the message.